Welcome to today's St. Paul's Church of the Voyager podcast. I'm Pastor Rob Fiesler, and I am glad that you are listening today. We are now seven weeks into our focus for the first four months of the new year, 2021. The Gospel of Luke, good news, great joy, all people. But before we hear our scripture reading for this week, Luke 7, I want to share that in August, when I hope we will have been back together uh, for uh, uh, some time, I am planning to do a sermon series called Stories They Don't Tell You in Sunday School. And we will look, uh, according to the plan, at uh, four different lesser-known stories of Scripture. I mention that because our reading this morning includes a version of a story that we do not usually tell in Sunday school or preach about in church. Our reading this morning. Let's listen. Hi, my name is Kevin Ringelstein. I'm coming at you from Alexandria, Virginia. We just moved here a couple months ago from Coronado. And just want to say we miss our St. Paul's United Methodist Church tremendously. And we hope that the Navy will send us back to Coronado here in a couple years. Today, I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 17. Jesus heals the centurion servant. After Jesus had finished all of his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. A centurion there had a slave whom he valued highly and who was ill and close to death. When he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him, asking him to come and heal his slave. When they came to Jesus, they appealed to him earnestly, saying, He is worthy of having you do this for him, for he loves our people, and it is he who built our synagogue for us. And Jesus went with them, but when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but only speak the word and let my servant be healed. For I also am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and the slave does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. Jesus raises the widow's son at Nain. Soon afterwards, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went with him. As he approached the gate of the town, a man who had died was being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow, and with her was a large crowd from the town. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion for her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came forward and touched the bear, and the bear stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, rise. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized all of them, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us. And God has looked favorably on his people. This word about him spread throughout Judea and all the surrounding country. Well, as you heard, that reading includes 
two stories of healing. The healing of the Roman centurion servant and the healing of, or better yet, the resurrection of the widow of Nain's son. Now, truth be told, you probably have heard a, a version of both of these stories in Sunday school or in church, but the first 10 verses of Luke 7 about the healing of the centurion's servant may be a version of the story that you haven't really heard before. But if you did hear a sermon or studied a passage that had the same theme, it is more likely that you looked at Matthew 8, 5 through 13. In Matthew's version of this story, when Jesus enters the city of Capernaum, a centurion came to him, Jesus, appealing to him saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed in terrible distress. And he, Jesus, said to him, I will come and cure him. So the key difference between Matthew's version and Luke's version is that in Luke's version, Jesus never has any direct interaction with the centurion. And that's a pretty big difference. Matthew's version and Luke's version cannot both be factually correct. And so I think it is more likely that Matthew's version is the one that we are more familiar with. And besides, it works better artistically if the Roman centurion actually interacts uh, with Jesus rather than, as Luke tells us, Jewish leaders interact with Jesus on uh, the centurion's behalf. Now, I was going to put a picture up of this uh, scene, uh, but then I realized we might run into some copyright issues. So I do. I just uh, encourage you to Google that story, and you can see that there's a number of wonderful artistic renditions of the interaction between Jesus and the Roman centurion. But to lay uh, in another uh, layer of intrigue, John 4, 45 through 54, tells yet another version of this story. Only in John we read this. There was a royal official whose son lay ill in Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come up from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So in, in John's version, rather than a Roman centurion, it's a royal official. And instead of a paralyzed servant, it is a son who is deathly ill. If you're curious, the Gospel of Mark doesn't tell any version of this story at all. But again, Matthew, Luke, and John all share this same story, but with significant discrepancies, which is why we might be less familiar 
with Luke's version of the story. And of the three versions, I do suspect that it's Luke's version that is potentially the most scandalous. But don't get me wrong. I mean, both Matthew and Luke's versions are more scandalous than John's, owing to the fact that as they tell the story, and at a very early juncture of his ministry, Jesus is, is showing a willingness to come to the aid of the person who is not Jewish. Worse, as a Roman military officer, the centurion is an enemy. So here we have Luke demonstrating once again how Jesus fulfills the angelic declaration of Luke 2 about the birth of a Savior who is good news of great joy for all people, even those we consider enemies. But not only that. The, Luke, uh, the events described in Luke 7, 1 through 10 also immediately follow upon uh, Jesus' sermon on the plain in Luke 6, 20 through 49. In Matthew, it's the Sermon on the Mount, but in, in Luke, it's the Sermon on the Plain. And in that sermon, Jesus has just spoken about loving one's enemies, of being non-judgmental, and of having a faith that produces good fruit. And so Luke 7 immediately shows that Jesus was not just talking the talk in the Sermon on the Plain, but he is also walking the walk. But let's work through this story just a little bit more carefully. As I said, the key difference between Matthew's version and, and Luke's is that in Luke's telling, Jesus never has any direct interaction with the centurion. Instead, according to verse 3, the centurion sends some Jewish elders to speak on his behalf and to request that Jesus come to his home and heal his servant. Now, the inclusion of the Jewish elders is one reason that I suspect that this version is a bit more scandalous than Matthew's because it suggests, it, it implies uh, that these uh, Jewish elders and not just Jesus are cooperating with the enemy, with Rome. Because the Israelites consider rightly the Romans to be enemy occupiers of their homeland. So in Luke's story, Jesus is cooperating with Jewish elders whose loyalty, whose patriotism is suspect, which would then make Jesus's suspect. Now, the elders appear all too happy to speak on behalf of the centurion, telling Jesus, he is worthy of having you do this for him, for he loves our people, and it is he who built our synagogue for us. In other words, 
The elders are telling Jesus that the centurion, though a foreigner and an enemy, is nonetheless qualified to receive Jesus' ministry. Well, the script then flips on a denarius as the centurion sends another group of friends to pass along a very different message, namely that Jesus should not come into his house because of his, the centurion's, unworthiness. In other words, the centurion has his friends tell Jesus that the centurion is not qualified to receive Jesus into his house. Now, in Matthew's version, it is the centurion himself that says this. As one scholar points out, this is a reversal of perspectives and perhaps our expectations because Jesus has shown himself already willing to enter in to the home of a Gentile. Yet it's the centurion who demonstrates sensitivity to Jesus' position as a religious Jew who will risk becoming unclean by entering into the home of a Gentile. Further, that the centurion has his friends convey the point that it is not his qualifications, but Jesus's qualifications that matter most. That Jesus can simply say the word and cure his servant. And indeed, that is what happens because when the friends return from delivering their message to Jesus, the servant has been restored to health. And so this leaves me pondering this question of qualifications, especially the question, what qualifies the servant to be healed by Jesus? Is there anything? I mean, even though the story revolves around the servant who needs to be healed, there is nothing to suggest that the servant has any type of faith in Jesus. And, and if we've missed that, the very next story that Luke tells is about a dead son who Jesus restores to life. It's a great story that we can explore in detail, hopefully another time. But notice that unlike the centurion, the mother of the dead child does not even ask Jesus for help. And this is probably an adult child, truth be told. But in, indeed, no one at all solicits Jesus' help. And, and rather, as, as verse 13 indicates, Jesus is simply moved with compassion when he encounters the funeral procession. And so he does what he does. But wait, don't we have to personally believe in order to receive? I mean, that's how I've heard it. 
Don't we have to at least personally say yes in order to qualify to receive the grace and compassion of Jesus? I don't know exactly what to say about this because that doesn't seem to be how it happens in Luke 7, 1 through 17. And what's clear is that it, in the most conservative reading of both of these stories, and by conservative I mean sticking most closely to the text, both stories reveal that the centurion's servant and the widow's son are totally unqualified to receive the mercy that Jesus demonstrates for them in these healings. They do nothing other than stand in need of mercy. And in this, we see again what the Roman centurion has, has conveyed through his friends, that, that he is totally unqualified but that Jesus is thoroughly qualified. It's like the Apostle Paul writes, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. Now note that. It's not of your own doing. Grace is not of your own doing. Faith is not of your own doing. None of it is of your own doing. It is a gift from God. But perhaps there's one more thing worth uh, noting before concluding our reflections on this passage. Remember that the Jewish elders come to Jesus seeking help not for themselves but on behalf of another. And then remember that the centurion's friends come to Jesus seeking help not for themselves but on behalf of another. And of course the story is about the centurion seeking help not for himself but on behalf of another. So I'd suggest that there are two things that it might be helpful for us to keep in mind about these stories. And one is that we do well to remember that our healing, our salvation, the grace in which we live it rests upon no qualification that we have. None. And this means that, that other people we deem as unqualified are nonetheless potential recipients of grace because that's just what Jesus does. Second, that our faith is at its best when it is not self-interested and self-seeking. When we're not trying to get out of it 
what we want. But rather, when we act on behalf of another who is in need of mercy and grace. And if we follow the logic of this story, the more unqualified, the better. Amen.